First Timothy chapter number two, verses eight through fifteen, and uh, I tell you what, I'll get to those in just a moment. Let's just start here, and I am going to borrow tonight heavily, and I, I just want you to know that I don't want you to think I'm uh, plagiarizing or. or or do anything shady. I am borrowing heavily from Brother Raymond Woodward tonight, who has who has written and, and given us so much tremendous material on uh, holiness. And I feel like the way he approaches some of these things are so very beneficial to us. And so I will borrow heavily from him tonight, of course, with my commentary uh, in there as well. Let's just pray and ask the Lord to help us. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for what you've done as we have gone through these things. As we finish this tonight, Lord, I pray for the same spirit of revelation to be here and the same sealing power of the Holy Ghost to be here with us. And we'll give you praise and glory for that in Jesus' name. Every, amen. 1 Timothy 2 and 1 Peter chapter 3 are two passages of Scripture that um, deal with the subject. Those are New Testament passages that deal with the subject of adornment. Everybody say adornment. When I say adornment, what I am specifically dealing with is uh, I am dealing with jewelry, I am dealing with makeup, and what our stance as Christians should be towards those things. And so uh, while that can affect men and women, it probably primarily in our culture affects women. And so we recognize that none of the series that we are doing uh, is is ever, when we talk about these things, is, is aimed to pick on the women. Ladies, I want you to know we recognize you carry the majority of the external uh, standards of holiness in the sense that what you do differs so much from what our culture does. Right? Now, it didn't used to be that way. My wife was making this distinction uh, is either last week or or uh, a couple weeks ago she was talking to me about it. Y'all pray for her because she gets over there she's want she gets to wanting to preach by the time I'm done. And so we get home she'll tell me she's I, I I said well come take the mic. I'll let you get up there and say something and she said you just pray for me. I can't it just gets all over me sometimes. And uh Anyways, we were uh, discussing it, and she was making the point. She said that these are things that used to be, for for hundreds of years, yea, thousands of years, these things were not even an issue. These things were not an issue. The reason that there's not more given to those things than is, and there's a lot given to these things in Scripture, so don't misunderstand me, make you think that there's not, there is much, we've quoted a lot of scripture to you in this series, uh, but the reason there's not even more is because most of this stuff was was completely understood and accepted things. And then we got into a day and age where um, we began to use this excuse of, well, I need to be doing these things and in order to make it easier for me to do something, I'm going to do this. And so we saw during the World War II era, we began to see tremendous things change in the way women dressed and uh, and and things that they would never have done. 
Matter of fact, I've got elders in this church that have talked to me and said, I remember the first time that, this is going to blow some of y'all's minds, the first time that a, a woman, a girl, wore a pair of pants to school and they called her in the office. Now, we're just trying to get enough clothes on people to cover them up. And, and, and then if you do that, parents want to get you on the news and try to humiliate the school or make them sound like they're being bullies. And, uh, but it, 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 it's the way it was. And, and for so many centuries, this is how it was. And now all of a sudden we have jumped into the most dangerous generation there has ever been. And part of what makes this generation so dangerous is its complete disregard for those things that are moral and those things that are natural, but above all, those things that are godly. And so we have to navigate that. And I think we need to, uh, we need to be very careful when we are dealing with people understanding the pressures that people are fighting and dealing with. And, and we want to always approach this from a place of a, we want to do what pleases God. And I want, I want to help you understand what is going to please God. I'm not trying to beat you up, but I also am certainly not trying to hide anything from you that you need to know. And so we are working as a church, to be a church that would please the Lord. And by the way, did we not have a powerful time here Sunday? And the Lord moved in a tremendous way, and this place was packed, and, and people all over the room were responding to the presence of God, and I just want to say thank you to this church for that. And so um, you have Paul and Peter giving very similar admonitions in these passages of Scripture that we will We'll get to here in just a little bit. Paul's is a, it, it, it comes from a different context than Peter's does, but they're both dealing with the exact same things. Um, Paul is looking at this subject of adornment from a theological perspective, and Peter comes along and he looks at it from a very practical perspective. And this was, these were areas of concern for the early church. This, this is not to say that the early church did not fight worldliness. They certainly did fight worldliness. You must remember they were born into a uh, Roman Greco uh, era. And so um, they, were, they were a very sensual people. They were, they were not a people given to... Uh, to the things of the Lord, and which it's amazing when you consider that Paul wrote to the church at Rome, and then he even talked and dealt with those that were in the household of Caesar, and in the middle of all that the Caesars were doing at that time, in the in the gross immorality that they saw, God raised up a church in that very home, in that very palace, because that's how awesome our God is. We have no excuse to not do these things and not live for God, because God always makes a way for his people to thrive and be successful. And so... Uh, Christianity is born into that world. That's what we were birthed into. It was the Rome. The Romans ruled the world at that time, and certainly they ruled uh, Jerusalem and Israel. And 
it was a it was a culture of luxury of decadence of indulgence and yet it was in that very same context that apostolic people were called by God to live out their faith and Paul writes to Timothy and he says first Timothy 2 and 8 I will therefore that men pray everywhere lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting in like manner also that women adorn everybody say adorn i'm going to come back to that word in a little bit that women adorn themselves in now listen to all these keywords in modest apparel with shamefacedness and sobriety not with broided hair or gold or pearls or costly array but He's saying, but this is how you're going to adorn yourself. Adorn yourself with the things which becometh women who profess godliness with good works. All right? That is the admonition from Paul. And then Peter says in 1 Peter 3 and 1, Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, now listen, this is so powerful, that if your husband doesn't obey the word of God, that they also may be one, they may be, they may without the word be one. So your husband doesn't, does not uh, avail himself of the preaching of the word of God and conviction doesn't fall on him through preaching because he doesn't come hear the preaching. But it could be, Peter says, and if the apostle Peter said this, and I'm going to say it's a very strong could be, it could be that your husband could be won by the conversation or the our word would be the lifestyle of the wives. Now, is that not powerful? While they behold your chaste lifestyle coupled with fear, Who's adorning, ladies? Let's, there's that word again, adorning. Who's adorning? Let it not be that outward adorning of plating the hair and of wearing of gold or of putting on of expense. It says of apparel. They want you to put on apparel. It's saying not putting on apparel that is, that is costly array. But let it be the hidden man of the heart and that which is not corruptible, even the ornament, this is the ornaments you want to put on of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. For after this manner in the old time, the holy women also who trusted in God, this is how they adorned themselves. And they were in subjection under their own husbands, even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are, as long as you do well and are not afraid with any amazement. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers be not hindered. That something needs to be dealt with, that your prayers be not hindered. Some people's prayers are hindered because they're not obeying some of these scriptures. Somebody say Amen. If you can't say amen, say oh me. All right. Adorn. What does that mean? Biblically, the word adorn means to beautify or to decorate with ornaments. The Greek word that's used is cosmeo. This is the word that we get the English word cosmetics from. 
It comes from the root word cosmos, which is translated world. But it also has the meaning of order or arrangement or decoration. And that's the decoration being the context it's used in here. Thus, just as the attractive and orderly arrangement of the stars adorn the world, they decorate the world, it is possible for humans to adorn themselves. The topic of adornment covers two very important areas, and that would be cosmetics and jewelry. Now, the apostles, Paul and Peter, when they write, they make it very clear that the way women often desire to adorn themselves is in opposition to the way God wants women to adorn themselves. And they say this, and I've read it to you. They said, we don't do it like the world does it. We do it this way. So they draw distinction that there is a worldly way to do this, and there is a godly way to do this. Can we just all come to agreement and, 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 and it not be some big thing, revelation that we have to get over and over and over and over again, that the world does not do things the way God does? We've got to get a hold of that realization. If we, if, if, if we try to act like there, there can be a congruency between worldliness and godliness, we are foolish. We are very foolish. There is, they are diam, they, they are diabolically opposed to one another. There is no similarity between them. An honest biblical study of makeup and jewelry could be very offensive to some ladies because most ladies today engage in the use of these things. That is not to say that they, they are people who don't want to serve God. That's to say that most of them, I would say, are biblically ignorant of this subject because it's not talked about in most places. And sadly, it's not talked about in many apostolic churches like it should be. But again, let's just stop for a moment and reaffirm that we're a church that wants to talk about the things that God wants to talk about. Amen. There are three positions that we could take in regard to adornment. The first would be full restriction. This teaching states that all external adornment is wrong. Extremists that would hold this viewpoint may even forbid the use of things like perfume, medicinal cream, a hair, uh, what do you call those things we used to get in the vacuum cleaner and they'd mess it up? Bobby pins. Y'all remember that? I remember them, you saying, we was having such good church, we was going to have to pull bobby pins out of the sheetrock. <laughs> and functional jewelry, such as uh, wedding rings or wristwatches, that would be a full restriction position. A no restriction position would be the second teaching, and that teaching would state that external adornment is of no consequence to God, basically, and this is where most of Christianity falls today, by the way. And this is an extremist position. And those who hold this viewpoint teach that it is legalistic to put any restrictions on women as to how they appear. But there is a third way that is a balanced way. And you've heard me say it a hundred times. I'll say it again. Balance is the key word of life. And that is the some restriction way. And this teaching states that the Bible gives us examples. Some of those examples are implicit, 
some of those, in other words, they are, they should be able, we should be able to read them and glean an understanding from them. And some of them are explicit, meaning they very clearly state what they mean. And through the Bible, we can take these admonitions, both kinds, and we can set forth clear principles on adornment that help to guide us in godly living. Decisions on the details of adornment must be based on scriptural principles, which are not open to private interpretation. Second Peter 1 and 20 said that, meaning we don't everybody have their own opinion and everybody's opinion can be right. There have there has to be some things that are the same for everybody. Not all things will be the same for everybody, but there are some things that should be the same for everybody. We doing all right tonight? All right. Simply because every single detail of adornment is not a scriptural absolute does not imply that there are no absolutes. It's easy to be an extremist. It's difficult to be in balance. Because to be an extremist, you don't have to care about finding the sinner. It's easy to hug a wall. It's very difficult. I mean, isn't it amazing? Anybody ever been driving through a large city? I remember going through Houston some years ago. And um, can y'all believe my parents, we were from there. Can you believe my parents when I was 16 let me drive down to Houston? Ask me if you think I'd let my kids do that. I remember driving through Houston one time by myself. It's like eight or ten lanes where I was at across. It was raining. I mean, a downpour. And they used to have those little um, reflector deals on the road and you know they would be bumpy if you crossed them and that's how you could distinguish the lanes of course over time people drive over them drive over them they pop off and they go to the wayside and so I'm driving it's it's dark the rain is just pouring down and those things are gone and I can't tell where the lanes are and I'm just hoping I don't hit somebody, nobody hits me. Anybody ever been in a situation like that where you could not distinguish the lane? Oh, yeah. Right? We probably all experienced it at some point. We like those lines. I tell you what, when I'm driving down the highway and somebody's driving towards me and it's the middle of the night, I'm very thankful for those lines. I pray they can see the line because it keeps them in their lane and it keeps me in my lane. When we do not have lines, we get into problems. So it's easy to hug the wall because the wall is as far over as you can go on either side. But it's not always easy to find the lane that you need to be in. Does that make sense? We're trying to find the lane. I'm not, I don't want to drive the car uh, scraping along the wall. I want to get in the lane so that I can get there safely. And this is what we're trying to do when we talk about balance. So when you look at the Old Testament, 
and let me just go through some things here, and I'm, tr- I'm going to really try to hurry. Y'all quit holding me up. <laughs> yeah, it's easy to blame it on other people, Brother Stephen. Uh, so let's talk about uh, the history of adornment in the Old Testament. There are implicit teachings in the Old Testament. And that is where we find God's condemnation of certain things. And the reason we know how God feels about those things is because God has a consistent attitude that he expresses about those things. All right? Uh, we may not ever see a direct prohibition where God says, do not do this, but it's clear to us how God feels about it simply because he tends to have an attitude towards it that we, that we are able to perceive from the words of Scripture. Y'all with me? When we come across those things, then what we need to do is we need to turn at that point and look to the New Testament because usually if there is an Old Testament implicit teaching, there will be a New Testament explicit teaching regarding that very thing. It is obvious that God reveals his will for us not only by precepts, but also by examples. So God doesn't always just say, here is the rule. Sometimes God gives an example and says, pay attention to this. It should be obvious to you. We used to call that common sense, but we found out that's not too common. All right. (laughs) Help me, Lord. Let's talk about the earthly tabernacle. In the Old Testament, God dwelt among his people, but in the tabernacle. In the New Testament, God dwells in his people, and our bodies are now the temple of the Holy Ghost. That's where we got our scripture bought with a price. We've read that every time. I didn't read it tonight. I didn't have time. Y'all holding me too long. Thus, the tabernacle itself is a better type of how we should live than the often rebellious Israelites were. Israel was was constantly flip-flopping back and forth, live for God, not live for God, with him today, not with him, serving him, idolatry. They were back and forth, back and forth, and it was a tremendous tremendous, uh, slight in the face of God. And... Uh, But all the while Israel was flip-flopping back and forth, that tabernacle never changed. It was consistent in all that it had within it and what God expected to be done within it. The tabernacle was, was largely undecorated on the outside, but it was extremely beautiful on the inside. Thus it emanated not Israel's glory from the outside, but it emanated God's glory from the inside. There is typology concerning adornment. Uh, Gold in the Bible was a type of God's divinity in every structure that Israel built for God, the tabernacle, the temples, in every one of those that they built for the Lord. Almost every single thing inside of those tabernacles and temples was covered with gold. In the church age, it has finally become possible for the gold of God's presence now, though, to be in man. So it's not just in an Old Testament structure. Now it is in the New Testament temple, which is your body, which is the vessel of God. Only the most careless 
or purposefully uh, overlooking student would say that this is not important. If you look at uh, passages in the scripture which speak uh, of the use of ornamentation favorably, it always reveals that they are descriptive of the prevailing cultural understanding of beauty, but never on how God viewed beauty himself. And if we don't make this distinction and, and get to the point where we want to look at things as God has looked at things, we will come to our own conclusions. And my conclusions typically are driven by my flesh and they are not driven by the spirit of God. One Old Testament scholar points out that reporting or narrating an event in Scripture should not be equated with approving or recommending or making that action or characteristic to be emulated by all subsequent readers. And let me just kind of clarify what we're saying there. We must constantly search for God's attitude towards something and not just adopt something because it was included in a particular passage of scripture as descriptive. Just because it was included in a descriptive manner does not mean God's attitude toward it is something that, uh, that, that is favorable. So these things need to be looked upon in, in every area of the scripture. And not we don't use some things to formulate doctrine unless their fundamental teaching is confirmed by what scripture is trying to say. So let me kind of make that a little bit more clear on what I mean. Um, there are things that happened in the Bible and one that we'll get to, and I'll give you an example of it real quick, is that when Israel left Egypt, the Egyptians came out and loaded Israel down with all kinds of jewelry. Loaded them down with it. And so somebody might look at that and try to say, well, look, when they left Egypt, God loaded them down with jewelry. And so God must be in favor of all this jewelry, except you've got to keep reading and you've got to see some other things that began to happen. And you've got to read things such as they began to construct a golden calf out of that jewelry. You've got to remember that they were going into a wilderness, that they were going into a land. They had been slaves for years and had nothing monetarily. And that jewelry was a way to, to be able to purchase and barter in the places that they were going. You've got to remember that. God's giving them money, in other words. Um, you've got to remember that God gives us a scripture. And I'll, I'll try to get to all of this. I'm so far behind where I should be tonight. But God gives, and I, don't worry, I won't keep going because I'm behind. I'll stop. God gives them a scripture where he said, I did ornament, outfit you with ornaments at one time. I gave you all of those things, but what did you do with it? Go read it. It's in the Bible. What did you do with it? He said, therefore, take it off of you. So in other words, we've got to understand that just because something's in there, and this is what carnal people do. You know, well, something's tucked in there. Well, there's a, that's a loophole for me. We don't want to be carnal people. We want to have progressive revelation. Not everything that was allowed in the Old Testament is reflective of God's ideal for his people in this New Testament church. David was a polygamist. Paul comes along and says, let every man have one wife. Very wise man. 
But God allowed that in the Old Testament, but you see that God has a different feeling toward it in the New Testament. Y'all with me? Just because God didn't condemn it in the Old Testament does not mean God got to the New Testament and said, I feel this is a good idea. God said, we are going to have progressive revelation. And so uh, we need to allow this same principle to apply to adornment. Um, Pieces of jewelry were used as money in the Old Testament times. You read that time and time again in your Bible. I won't spend a lot of time there. Uh, Jewelry was originally a blessing from God. Abraham was wealthy in silver and gold. God even instructed Israel to take the jewelry of the Egyptians, as I was talking about, on the night they were freed from their bondage. This was God's blessing on them. It was going to give them currency to survive their journey. Uh, Until this point, go read the Bible. Until this point, jewelry was basically viewed positively because of its practical function. However, a trend developed among God's people at that time. They began to use these ornaments as an expression of pride and even sensuality. And so this helps us to understand why God began to call his people and tell them to remove the ornaments from off of them. The first time is found in Genesis 35 and 1 when Jacob is leading his family members in an inward spiritual cleansing. And he is... He is uh, trying to get his household right with God. The Lord has come to him. He's been at Laban's and God has come to him and is dealing with him. And so Jacob says, hey, family, come together. We're about to get right with God. There's going to be a spiritual cleansing. And so in order for that to happen, he said, now, he said, before we can do this, I need there to be an outward cleansing too. And so the Bible says they brought to Jacob their idols, but they did not only bring to Jacob their idols. They also brought to Jacob their jewelry because they recognized that this was a barrier to their acceptance with God and to ensure that his family would not be tempted to backslide. Jacob went and took all the idols and the jewelry and he burned them underneath a tree. Isn't that interesting? That was the first time that that this happens, but not the last Uh, it, it happens again in Exodus chapters 32 and 33 when Moses is on Sinai, he's receiving the 10 commandments and they're tired of waiting for Moses and they're anxious to have a visible God. And so while Moses is up there talking to God, the people are saying, we need a God to worship and to serve. And, and Aaron says, then bring me your ornaments and bring me your jewelry. And they do, and they make this golden calf that is an imitation of the gods of Egypt that they worship, their golden calves. It's what they knew, and they make this, and they begin to dance around it, and the Lord is immediately upset and, and tells Moses to get down there for what the people have done, and, and so Moses comes down, he throws down the tab- tables of stone, you remember this, they're busted, and he takes that golden calf and he melts it down and, and he punished, uh, the Lord punished all those that were in rebellion through this. Israel turned into idols, the things that God had given them to help them. And when he went up again, pay, this is very powerful. When Moses goes back up into the mountain uh, to plead with God that the Lord would forgive their sin, God reassured Moses. He said, I'm going to keep my covenant with them. This is so powerful. Pay attention. I'll keep my covenant with them to bring them into the land of promise. Okay, Moses, I'm going to do this. However, 
I am not going to go with you myself. You can read it in Exodus 32. He said, I'm not going to go with you myself. If I do, my presence with their worldly presence, he said, I'll destroy them. And when Moses tells them what's going to happen and Israel learned that God would no longer guide them with his presence, they repented and they repented deeply of their sin and they took off, read it, Exodus 33 and 4, they took off their jewelry and when they did this in response, God said, okay, I will reconsider how I feel about what I said about my presence not going with you. He said, but I want you to I am requesting, this is Exodus 33 and 5, I request that you would remove your ornaments. Remove your ornaments. And if you'd put that up there, Exodus 33 and 5, Israel recognized that their jewelry had become a serious obstacle in their reconciliation with God. So they stripped themselves of their ornaments from Mount Horeb onward. Uh, Go to the next verse. The children of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments, that is their jewelry, by the Mount Horeb. And then if you study this, most translations say from Mount Horeb on. Now, isn't that powerful? You say, well, that word don't mean much. That word means a whole lot. God changed it at that particular point. You can read it in the Amplified Bible. You can read it in the Revised Version, the New American Standard Version, extremely many translations and commentators. The Bible in basic English states that they did not put them on again. Moffat's translation of the Bible says this happened at the mountain of Horeb and ever after. Thus, Israel made a sincere commitment that they were going to discontinue the use of ornaments in order to show their honest desire to obey God and to have the ornamentation of the glory of God from that point on, just as Jacob and his family did at Shechem. God, God's command to the Israelites to remove their ornaments before going into the land of Canaan applies to us as well because we are also on a journey to the promised land. We are on a journey to the promised land. Some people used to say Canaan is a type of heaven. That's not true. Canaan is not a type of heaven because in heaven there are no more battles to fight. In heaven there are no more tears to cry. In heaven there is no sickness. And when they got to Canaan, they had battles to fight. They had cities to conquer. They had peoples to conquer. They had all kinds of things to deal with. There was sickness. There was death. There was all of those things. So Canaan is not a type of heaven. Rather, Canaan is a type of our experience in living for God. It is a deep spiritual experience with God that is still accompanied by giants and battles. But we know that with the Lord, we overcome them all. Hallelujah. And so just as they left those things off, as they entered into that deeper experience, we want to say, Lord, as you draw me into a deeper experience, I want to leave those things off as well. We doing okay? Would you give me five minutes? And I'm going to try to keep it to that. I really do mean that. 
these things were such a stumbling block to the spiritual life of Israel. And you can read it over and over again. And I've got more scripture here than you could shake a stick at. And if you want them, you come to me and I will give them all to you. All right. Um, God did not force them to give these things. But the suggestion is that God desired that they would give up these things to him. And they took the hint because when they began to do the tabernacle, the Lord said, just tell them to bring their silver and their gold. I gave it to them. You tell them now to come give it to me. And they brought it to God and they were able to use it in the building of the tabernacle of the Lord. They dedicated to the Lord the spoils of their victories. What every man hath gotten, Numbers said, what every man hath gotten of jewels of gold and chains and bracelets and rings and earrings and tablets, Numbers 31, uh, bring it to the Lord, and they did. And eventually it got to the point where God, so these were the things that we could see. God said, come bring this to me. And they brought it to him. But God never said, I hate that. But eventually we even get to the place where God verbalized his hatred for this jewelry on his people. Deuteronomy 7, verse number 25. The graven images of their gods shall you burn with fire. Thou shalt not desire the silver or the gold that is on them. Talking about the heathen peoples. Nor take it unto thee. Lest that, watch this. Lest thou be snared therein these things can become a snare to you he said lest thou be snared therein for it is an abomination to the lord thy god now when we talked about uh pants and all of those things what did we say deuteronomy 22 and 5 said don't do this because it's an abomination unto the lord your god and we made this point god has never changed in other words, if God hated something then, God hates it now. And God tells us there that he hated it then. Anybody got an opinion on how God feels about it now? The same. Somebody say yesterday, today, and forever. Amen. Even the kings of Israel were forbidden in Scripture to accumulate silver and gold for themselves. Solomon, David did that in order for Solomon to build a tabernacle. He, he saved it for the building of the temple of God. Solomon comes along and breaks this command and begins to transgress it, and he begins to accumulate it for himself. And you see his, his, what, what happens with him. It cost him his relationship with the Lord. Uh, Joshua pronounced a death sentence over Achan and his family because he kept the gold and the silver instead of turning it over to the Lord as God had commanded. Gideon, mighty Gideon, who, who took his army of 300 and, and won the victory over the, uh, over the Midianites. And, and God used him in such a powerful way. Yet in his old age, Gideon backslides. He broke the command of God. He took the earrings of the Ishmaelites and made them into a priestly vestment for himself. And the Bible said he caused all of Israel to backslide. Jewelry was a trademark of the sinful Ishmaelites and not of Israel. Watch the scripture, Judges 8, 24 through 27. And Gideon said unto them, and Gideon said unto them, I would desire a request of you that you would give me every man the earrings of his prey. For they had golden earrings because they were Ishmaelites. 
Next verse. And they answered, we will willingly give them. And they spread a garment and did cast therein every man the earrings of his prey. Verse 26. And the weight of the golden earrings that he requested was a thousand and seven hundred shekels of gold beside ornaments and collars and purple raiment that was on the kings of Midian and beside the chains that were about their camels' necks. Next verse. And Gideon made an ephod thereof and put it in his city, even in Ophrah. And all Israel went thither a whoring after it, which thing became a snare unto Gideon and to his house. All Israel went after it, and it became a snare to Gideon and his house. So in the Old Testament, there's this growing trend. It is just an accumulation. There's a snowball effect of God saying, I'm not happy with this jewelry thing. Are y'all with me on that? I don't have time to keep going. I've got so many scriptures, Ezekiel, Isaiah, Hosea, Jeremiah, so many scriptures, 2 Kings, Revelation. We could get into so many different things, but we see a consistent attitude from the Lord on how he felt about that. And, and there is a woman in the Bible named Jezebel who not only did all those things, but she painted herself. And I haven't really gotten to that yet, but she painted herself and she becomes synonymous in scripture with that. And the Bible said God hated her spirit. And then we have a spirit like a woman by the name of Esther, which is in contrast to the spirit of Jezebel. And she was brought before a king and she was allowed to act. She was allowed access to anything she would have desired in order to beautify herself. Esther 2.13 lets us know. However, Esther used only what was selected for her by the king's eunuch. And the Bible records only that she used oil of myrrh, perfume, and other preparations to purify the skin. She eschewed the jewelry and the ornamentation. And she said, I prefer to go before him as God has made me. And so I want to say to all of our ladies tonight, I teach and I believe and I'll probably have to come back because there's so much more here I'd like to cover that I need another hour at least to cover, and I can't do it tonight, okay? But I will come back, and we will talk about this some more. But to you ladies, I want you to know, you don't need ornamentation in order to, in, in order to be impressive. The Bible said, and I read it to you, it is a New Testament scripture. I wish some of these churches who call us legalists would go read these New Testament scriptures by the apostles that say, this is the ornamentation God desires, not of all the gold, not of the plating of the hair, not of, and what does that mean? I had somebody ask me about that. Does that mean we can't braid our hair? That is not what that means. That means to not take gold and, and, and silver and, 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 and jewelry and, and, embrace all of those things in your hair all right but the apostle said you don't have to have all of that rather rather the ornamentation of the adornment he said of a meek and a quiet spirit and a woman that is submitted to God he said that is what God desires of you and ladies you don't need those things to be desirable to God first and to us men second and you don't have to paint your face to be desirable to God or us men. The Lord made you in a certain way. We want you to be that way. God, you, you are uniquely created by God. And there is so much on the makeup side of it that I don't have time to get into. And I'm sorry. I'm tempted to dismiss and let some of y'all go home and those that want to stay, stay. But I'm a little concerned who, 
how many would stay. <laughs> but it's in there. We'll get to it, okay? But I'm telling you as your pastor right now, until I can get bring it to you, everything I've preached to you in this series has been from the Bible. Everything Pastor Austin preached to you was out of the Bible. Everything Pastor Clinton preached was out of the Bible. I have not stepped out of it. We have thrown scripture after scripture after scripture at you because we want you to know what the Bible says. So please don't fall into this worldly thinking of I don't care what the Bible says. I think God would. You don't have to worry about thinking what God would do. He told you how he feels about it. And I'll come back and tell you how he feels about that. Until I do, would you trust me enough to say we don't need that? We don't need that. Stay away from it. Commit yourself to God. There is something so beautiful about you ladies that commit to the Lord. Your, your holiness is, is a glorious thing. It is a wonderful thing. And God desires it. He desires it of his church. And as your pastor, I'm asking that we would live this way. Amen. Let's stand together. I'm asking that we would live this way. I will st stop just to say this. The, this is the balanced approach. I believe in what would be called functional jewelry. What's functional jewelry, pastor? It serves a very specific purpose. I'm okay with wedding rings. Engagement rings. Those are a very specific purpose. It, it, it is a signification of a covenant that you've made with your spouse. I'm okay with that. I'm okay with a watch. Now, let's not go buy a $30,000 watch. And that does violate Scripture. But I'm okay. I'm, I'm okay with those functional things. But, but things that have no function, necklaces and a bunch of rings, it doesn't have any function for us. That is that uh, this tells a story, not just any story, a covenant story. Because I can hear people saying, well, my such and such tells a story. No, a covenant story. Your wedding ring does. And your watch is a functional piece. It is a piece of jewelry. It is a functional piece of jewelry. And that is what the Bible okays. And that's what the Lord okays. And you see it in the story of the prodigal son. When he said, put the ring of authority on his finger. That was a very strong symbol in their day. And, and so you see that. And so we're going to do those things. But we're going to be a modest people. We're going to be a people that seek after the heart of God. So let's pray together right now. And let's ask the Lord to help us to have that kind of heart and spirit for the things of God. Would you do it? In the name of Jesus, Lord. I know that these people are bombarded. Hollywood and, and, and culture tries to tell us what beauty should have to look like. The problem is, Lord, they change it every few years. You can't ever get it right with them. But, Lord, you gave us one standard once and for all. And your standard is right. And your standard is holy. And your standard is pleasing to you. And your standard brings us closer to you, God. Whereas when we follow the world's standards of holiness, we are pushed away from you. God, I, I don't want to be pushed away from you. I don't want my wife or my daughter to be pushed away from you. I don't want the people in this church to be pushed away from you. I ask, Lord, that you would touch them. That you would help us. You would 
would touch our hearts, you would touch our minds, that we would receive the revelation of your word that is so very powerful. In the name of Jesus, we pray it. Somebody say amen. Amen.